Hello and welcome to another episode of the Craft Beer Talk Show, uh, a long-awaited episode uh, of the Craft Beer Talk Show, that is. I'm your host, Matt Salish. If this is your first time, welcome. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. Also, I am very, very sorry. I haven't been active on releasing episodes or on the Instagram page in about uh, a month's time now. The reason for my absence has been uh, a collection of different things. The main reason is some renovations to where I record the podcast. I've created a better environment for myself and and really all the listeners as well. Um, I'll be able to record better videos for the page and become more efficient with my delivery uh, when recording because of of these renovations. And I'm excited to to build off this and grow bigger with all of you. So for those that have have waited, I, I do really appreciate it. With this new setup, I do hope to record the entire episode um, on video instead of the tiny clips uh, I post here and there. And then ultimately, I'll, I'll post it uh, on YouTube or, or something like that, or at, or at least if not the whole episode, um, at least like the entire tasting. Uh, I record... Uh, a few in the past, but never really ended up using the entire footage just because I didn't really like um, how it all looked. I didn't think it was very deliverable, but with this new setup, I, I hopefully will be able to um, put up more stuff um, and uh, for your enjoyment, really, uh, because the tastings are fun. They kind of are what the entire episode is, and I usually just do um, the pouring and then basically say, you know, check out. Um, the episode on, on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts, but I definitely will be wanting to shoot more content. I did these renovations for a reason, kind of a more relaxed space, so I think you guys will definitely love that. Um, of course, after saying that all, uh, I'm not exactly recording this episode in that new setup. There's still a few minor um, things that need to be done to make it just right. They're kind of you know decorative stuff. Um, plus, this is the 20th episode. So to finish the first 20 episodes uh, in a spot that's completely different than the first 19 feels like a shame. Um, so that brings me to my next subtopic before we dive in to the goods, and it's actually a very important one. It's something I've been talking about all year long, uh, and I mentioned a few episodes ago it would be coming this month, and that is the announcement of the Craft Beer Talk Show Introductory to Craft Beer Choice of the Year Award winner. Uh, The finalists will be released in an Instagram post sometime next week, probably midweek. Then, on the 27th of November, the winner will be announced. So you'll hear it first um, on episode 23, I believe that will be. And then the post will probably be either you know, that that day, the same day, maybe just later on, or maybe released over the weekend. But to explain to those who don't know what it is, uh, I'm sure most do, but for, for new listeners, the Craft Beer Talk Show Introduction to Craft Beer Choice of the Year Award uh, is a very prestigious title um, that gets handed to the craft beer um, that allows beer drinkers to transition into the craft beer scene. Um, there's a lot of negative or misconceptions um, of the craft beer world and the, and the beers that get brewed within it. Usually that the beers are you know all gross, for lack of a better word, and uh, completely outrageous, but that's not the truth at all. Um, there are so many beers out there that are just as simple uh, as the beer made by mainstream brewers. 
differences in the quality uh, and of course the local aspect uh, the freshness and all the good stuff you'd want in a beer anyways so uh, the candidates are typically lagers um, or pilsner something low in ibus and bitterness um, crisp light tasting uh, i've mentioned beers uh, over the course of the show so if you've been following along then you might know all of them but uh, the final official listing like i said will be out sometime uh, mid next week um, and then maybe I'll put up some polls uh, on the page or something like that and and people can vote and then uh, the final the final decision um, I'm actually not too sure if I want to leave it up to the listeners or if I want to just kind of you know take the lead hand on it uh, just because if people haven't tasted the beer before I don't want you know kind of it going off of the look of the can or something like that. So I'll, I'll probably just take the lead, but I will put a poll up and take into consideration, of course, um, the listeners' votes because that's very important to me. Um, but let's go into the main topic of the episode. Uh, I'll actually start with a recap of the last episode um, before I dive into the edition of today. I said it was going to be like a, a two-part series. Uh, unfortunately, it took almost a month uh, to get to the second portion of the series, but nonetheless, the wait is over. Um, but as for the first part, we talked about uh, the beer of New France, and we talked about how the settlers that came to this country uh, were used to drinking wine and, and preferred it, in fact. So that meant a couple things. One, the, the growing and brewing process uh, were a bit of a challenge. Uh, less experience. Of course, the two are fairly similar, so the settlers may do. Um, and of course, they had beer in France at this age, so it's not like this was a completely foreign subject. Um, but the environment that uh, Canada has is a lot different than the climate that um, France has. So, of course, adapting to uh, those differences were an obstacle. We also learned that the first commercial brewery um, was said to be bigger, better, and more productive than the breweries uh, we're going to talk about in the next stage, maybe just at the beginning um, of, of Canada's beer story. But one thing that it wasn't was successful. Uh, the wine drinkers of France did not take to the beer that was mass-produced, ultimately shutting down uh, the evolutionary brewery. Uh, so that leaves us with what happens next. It seems as though the early settlers uh, did not like what was offered uh, and basically took an entire pass on the whole beer thing altogether. But then... The conquest of 1759 happened, and commercial brewing would return. The British settled in Quebec and wanted to bring a little piece of home with them, which included their die-hard love for beer. These English brewers did not repeat the mistakes of our friend Jean Talon. Uh, they grew slowly and reinvested into their business, ensuring the profits uh, were sufficient enough to supply more and more. The most famous of these particular group of brewers, um, I'm sure you can guess it, is John Molson. His brewery, which was founded in 1786, would become the longest surviving firm in Canadian history. A little fun fact is that of everything that existed in 18th century Montreal, only John Molson's brewery and the Montreal Gazette, which is a newspaper uh, the survive today. So only two businesses of 18th century Montreal um, exist still to this day. Uh, Molson actually didn't come to New France 
which was now at the time called British North America, uh, to brew beer at all. He came looking for a fortune. He knew almost nothing about the science and art of brewing, but yet the youngster learned and had an eye for economic opportunity. He was eager to learn, and he wanted to do whatever it would take to be successful. His brewery was located uh, at the junction of St. Mary's Current and the St. Lawrence River. Um, Most of Montreal merchants at this point were either English or Scottish immigrants, and they craved the ales and porters of their hometowns, Um, as well as the soldiers that were stationed nearby. um, They continually saved their money um, so they could buy, from the the quote here, is five or six beers a day. you know, this new increased demand sparked interest for other notable names as well, which included uh, Thomas Carlin, John Kinder Labatt, and Susanna O'Lan. So if you're big into beer history, I'm sure you can recognize, if not the first, nine, first names, definitely the last names. But Molson found himself in basically the perfect position, which was he could um, not brew enough beer to satisfy the client's wanting his beer, supply and demand. Uh, Molson's beer was cheap, which was part of the reason he had such success. Now, get this. Each beer, so one beer, would only cost five cents. That's unbelievable, considering that's 30 cents for a six-pack. And I'd say most breweries will charge about, you know, on the cheap end, like $14, $15 and you know, you can go all the way up to 24 even over $24, depending on uh, the style of, of beers you're buying, you know, for a six-pack. Um, cheap was only part of Molson's equation, though. His beer was also better quality than most breweries, and especially better than the beer that they could ship over from, from England. It would slush around, um, you know, obviously be exposed to potential bacteria and infection. So, you know, it was kind of a risk. So why not drink? The, the cheap but even better beer that they had local. Um, one thing I definitely wanted to kind of ponder on was almost thinking what was that Molson beer like and what is it like now? So we know for sure what it's like now, which is um, light, crisp, some might say tasteless, um, watery, but uh, we also know that the beer back then was a dark amber brew, um, and it was kind of malt forward, so like a huge difference. But was that beer like in that time almost similar to what it is now? Um, they obviously talk about the English and the Scottish loving those styles of beer, and we know in that time um, ales were obviously the most popular. So was that beer almost considered just like the mainstream run-of-the-mill? Now, the obvious difference is that Molson really established himself as kind of like, you know, a a monopoly in a sense that there wasn't many breweries at this time around other than his and a few others that that got started that early in the game. So it is interesting to think of the change um, that these beers have gone through. And I think that's definitely something I'll have to look into um, another episode, almost like showing the the progression of of beer back then versus now, which we know, but almost put it in in 
context of a specific brewery like Molson or, or Labatt's or maybe um, if we want to do a whole thing, we can even look at some of the American breweries. And obviously we know that they they collaborate with uh, some of these big names in Canada further down the road. So, of course, all this success and popularity, uh, Molson couldn't protect himself from competition. We know that. That's That's bound to happen. With such a successful brewery, like his own, of course, other people are going to take notice and they're going to want to jump in um, on the same type of business. And the main competitors for Molson became Thomas Dunn and Thomas Dawes. So introducing first Thomas Dawes, um, he was a miller turned brewer. In 1790, he started producing ales um, at La Prairie. His business grew and, and he moved his business to Montreal in 1808. Now, Dawes, on the other hand, had set up his place in Lachine, which is just west of Montreal. And this is pretty cool to learn because this is where my father was born and grew up. So I'll have to ask him if he's ever heard of this particular brewery, the Dawes Brewery. Um, and that particular brewery was in the family and it operated as a family business for many generations and eventually becoming a part of the National Breweries conglomerate. So very historical, um, obviously had a big part in, in the first breweries of, of Canada or British North America, as they called it at that time. So we'll fast forward a little bit uh, through things such as you know the First and Second War, uh, as well as Prohibition, as I will save those specific topics for... Um, Another episode, I think, that talking about beer during those two world wars um, would be definitely interesting and what kind of part uh, and role it played for the soldiers. Um, of course, prohibition on its own is another topic that is, is truly amazing, and we'll have to talk about Signal Brewery, which uh, I talked about a few episodes ago, um, and their relation because they have a cool story with it. Uh, if you haven't listened to that, Make sure you go check it out because uh, it's definitely a very cool history lesson. I believe it's episode 15. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll definitely do their own segments. Um, so we'll flash forward to Canada's beer story now after the Second World War. At this time in Canada, the National Brewing Oligopoly emerged. Uh, and that was made up of Labatt, Molson, and Canadian Breweries Limited. Um, of those three, Edward Plunkett Taylor's Canadian Breweries Limited was the first truly national brewery. Um, Taylor set up a, a provincial giant uh, in Ontario just after Prohibition and now seemed to explore nationally. Taylor had only two options. The first option was to ship beer, uh, similarly to the shipping brewers of the United States, which were um, Anheuser-Busch, Schlitz, uh, Miller and Coors, uh, but the problem with that is the distance to travel in Canada was far too great for it to make sense to brew beer in Ontario, then ship it to the West Coast uh, and have it hopefully successfully compete with the already established Western brewers. On top of that, provincial governments taxed out-of-province beer, which would increase the price of Taylor's beer by 30%. So that led to the second option, the only true option to be successfully national, and that was to have physical presence in those specific areas, which meant 
having to buy several properties on the West Coast. And that is exactly what happened. The big three took over a few small to medium-sized breweries, uh, and the conquest for nationalization officially began. So in 1945, there were 61 breweries in Canada, 28 in the West, 29 in Ontario and Quebec, and four in the Maritimes. So now by 1962, the big three produced almost 95% uh, of the beer sold in Canada. That's, um, that's incredible. Um, most of these 61 breweries that existed in 1945, they were still operating. They were just operating under the ownership of the big three. So now, over time, these beers would become somewhat uh, similar in flavor and style, so that the battle became a battle of promotions and advertising instead of the products and the flavors and the taste, um, which in my opinion is exactly what you see today. This basically resulting in the ending of local styles uh, and everything was just converted into a copy, uh, a reflection of one another. Uh, and the wallets of these companies buying out smaller brands for more market share and exposure, which to cap it off, I think I can easily say, you know, please support local. And that's the whole premise of the show. And, and in kind of that final closing statement, um, you know, it proves that supporting local um, almost kind of sounds like the right thing to do. And, and realistically, I think it's, it's, you're better off doing that. Um, but there's actually more to Canada's beer story. Uh, and I've decided I'm going to leave it for a third and final segment, which I will do next week. So this would be the story of Canada and its relationship to craft beer. Um, this is probably almost the most exciting uh, seeing as it corresponds with my show so well. So tune in uh, for sure next week to hear, you know, let's say the dramatic ending to it all. Um, that's kind of the ending, kind of what I said, because it's kind of where we leave it, you know, off today and kind of what most people think um, of when they think of beer in Canada. But I'll definitely be excited to talk about how craft beer is, you know, started to reemerge in, in local breweries and that local style, as I talked about, you know, it wasn't gone forever, and it's it's booming now, right? As we know, the craft industry uh, in North America is is just amazing, and uh, it's going nowhere but up. So moving on to our beer segment today, uh, you might have seen we'll be talking about Silversmith Brewing. Uh, I'll be drinking their Black Lager, which is actually a Schwarz beer, um, if you want to really define it in style. Schwarz beer is a, a German dark lager style. Uh, they're not as intimidating as they look, although their color oozes uh, intense, robust, deep flavors. They're actually quite light and clean, and of course, uh, there's going to be a multi-profile to it. So if, if that's not your thing, then obviously this beer uh, might be some trouble for you. Uh, this particular style is said to be one of the oldest beer styles in the world. Uh, the first written reference date is 1390. Uh, excuse me if I pronounce this wrong, um, Braunschweig. Um, although the true origin is believed to be in southeastern Germany, in Kombach, um, as archaeological evidence of, of brewing similar beer was found in Iron Age um, Celtic tombs that date back to 800 BC. So definitely really, really old and 
if you guys know me well or, or learned anything about me over the first 20 episodes of the show is that I love um, beer history. So this is definitely something right up my alley. It makes me almost like the style even more just knowing kind of its background and where it came from. So on that note, uh, as I mentioned, the Schwarz beer we'll be trying is from Silversmith, which is a pretty historical-looking place itself, located in Virgil in uh, Niagara-on-the-Lake, an absolute beautiful area. Uh, This brewery is located and built in a repurposed church, uh, which looks just amazing and old on the outside, but when you step in it, uh, it's totally modern. Uh, and renovated, but um, also keeping some of the old parts of the building, such as some wooden structural stuff and uh, some beautiful stained glass. Uh, I really did love spending time in this brewery and, and tasted plenty of their beers. Uh, and when I tasted that that black lager, I just knew I had to feature um, it on the show, uh, which is the beer that actually started it all for them back in 2011. And, and since then, it's been winning plenty of awards in Canada, uh, so it's very successful. It's 5%. It's only 10 IBUs. Uh, it's black as night. So it's also a pretty cool beer to look at. Uh, but without further ado, let's crack it open uh, and get it poured and taste this beautiful Schwarz beer. All right. So the beer is poured. And as expected, or I guess I've seen it before, um, the beer, the look matches the name completely. Uh, literally called the black lager Uh, the can is all blacked out with kind of this silver writing on it I'll post a picture on Instagram uh, for those that haven't seen this can um, before Um, it has one silver gold and then one just says winner um, at the 17 18 and 19 world beer awards representing canada um in the i think it's black lager um category but uh it's it's an absolutely gorgeous can has all of their info on there oh actually this isn't on their website i'll i'll read this um just before i get into the tasting um, but it says virgil proud on the side of the can silversmith brewing company was conceived by two rock climbing buddies and born into a deconsecrated Anglican church in the heart of Virgil, Ontario. We welcome you into our church, a place to gather and enjoy our beer, food, and become a part of our community. That is awesome. Uh, I definitely like everything about that. It definitely, I think, matches the review I gave of the brewery. And one thing it said on there that I failed to mention um, before when kind of talking about my experience it talks about the food and i'll tell you one thing i'm a huge like huge uh hot nashville fried chicken sandwich guy um i I get it basically anywhere i go if it's on the menu um i get it down i was also with another guy who um you know ryan bond a friend of the show he also loves uh hot nashville chicken uh sandwiches and we can both uh, agree that it is definitely one of the best we have ever had so the food um, is top-notch they also do a lot of uh, potato like tots like tater tot variations that are, are a pretty good appetizer as well so I wouldn't pass those up um, but yeah the food there is fantastic really it's a great um, evening out the you know Niagara on the lake the whole county Virgil it's just gorgeous uh, so it's good to go for a walk and then um 
maybe stop for a pint. It's actually right beside this uh, biking place, this rental place called Vino Velo, and they do um, wine tours of uh, Niagara on the Lake. Basically, you rent a bike from them, and then they kind of offer packages, and you can you know travel around. Uh, I've done it, and it's it's amazing. Now, you could always rent your own bike and do the same thing, but uh, that's a great business, Vino Velo. Check it out if you're ever in the area. Um, especially if you don't have your bike because who just carries their bike around with them. Um, so nonetheless, check all that stuff out, but let's talk about this beer. Um, as expected, I mentioned before, completely black, cannot see through it, not even a little bit. Uh, it's got a nice creamy kind of thick head. Uh, and the picture I took, of course, doesn't do it justice because it started to um, kind of simmer down, so it lost a little bit of its head. Uh, that's probably just my pouring skills but let's give it a a smell so it smells in my opinion kind of at first a little bit of like roasted nuts um, and then you kind of start getting the sweetness uh, and you get like almost like a molasses uh, brown sugar um, kind of smell you can really smell the maltiness to the beer Um, it definitely is uh, like a sweet smelling beer in my opinion so i think when you you smell that that kind of lowers the intimidation factor uh, of the blackness and the, and the color of the beer um let's give it a taste so again this isn't a a first you know taste for me this uh i had this beer when i visited the brewery now i didn't get it in a flight or i did get it in a flight i think i got something else as a full pint so i i only had you know, just a little bit, um, five ounces uh, of this beer. And I, I liked it at the brewery, and I, I like it again here. This, of course, being the canned product versus the giraffe that I got served uh, at the brewery. But I, I definitely really like it. You can, you know, get that malty mouthfeel. Um, you get a caramel-like taste, which kind of matches uh, the smell and the aroma. It's, it's nice and refreshing, though. The, the way it tastes and the way it looks are no comparison. So if you're not a dark lager person, you know, I get it. If that's not your thing, like, you'll probably, you'll stay clear of it, I'm sure. But I'm asking you to just give it a shot. If you don't like it, you know what? It's It doesn't float your boat. That's not your cup of tea. Whatever. So be it. But give beers like this uh, a chance um, because they're, they're not how they they look you know don't judge a book by its cover i get it's intimidating they literally call it the black lager so you you think to things like stouts and porters right away but this is completely different it's it's nice and light and refreshing i'm not saying this compares to drinking a crisp pilsner on a summer's day but i definitely think for when it's cold outside you want something a little bit heavier um but you don't want to go too crazy. You want still something light you can sit down and have a few of. The black lager, I think, uh, for sure, um, should be something you're, you're picking up. So let's give it one more taste, and then we're going to jump into the scores here. That is lovely. And I think this beer, for me at least, matches kind of what we're going through it's actually really nice in terms of weather right now uh, here in southern ontario but it's november it's getting cold uh, the mornings are cold 
when you leave work at four or five o'clock, it's starting to get dark. You know, you're eating dinner. It's pitch black outside. Um, all you kind of want to do is is curl up and, and watch a movie or November seems to be the time where people jump into the holiday spirit. So maybe you put on a Christmas flick, uh, you know, you pop some popcorn and roast some chestnuts. This would be the absolute perfect beer to accompany you. Um, it matches everything that I want from a beer right now. Of course, you know, you want to crush um, you know, your classic loggers, pilsners, whatever. It's it's the weekend, you're watching football or whatever, but this is a whole change of pace and you gotta keep up with, with what's current. Uh and that goes, you know, with weather. Uh so I think these types of beers are something that I'm gonna be looking out for come the holiday season, come this colder weather change. Uh and I'm gonna put Silversmith, um, black logger you know, pretty much at the top of my list, we've done some dark beers. Uh, I don't think we've ever done a black lager before. Uh, I'm trying to refer to a list of all the beers we've we've done. Um, I think the darkest we definitely have done was Clifford Porter, and that that got uh, it matched actually tied for first place um, in terms of rankings on the craft beer talk show. So, a score for Silversmith, the black lager. Schwarzbier, I'm going to give it an 8.5. That's obviously well above average. Um, I'm not going to give it like in the nines because as much as I love it and it's great, it's almost in a way... I don't know. I don't want to say anything negative about about these guys. So it's it's just an 8.5. That's just how I feel it should be. It doesn't necessarily like blow me away in terms of, I guess, complexity of flavors. They keep it fairly simple and straightforward, but that's what also makes it so good. Um, but obviously, sometimes you have to take those risks to get um, into the nines. Uh, looking at those nines, Clifford Porter uh, is one of them, and I thought the flavor profile was you know, just outstanding. And then obviously the other 9.1 was uh, Steam Whistle Pilsner, just because I thought they do such a good job at perfecting um, such an old school style. But uh, one thing I definitely want to mention, because over the course of these first 20 episodes, um, I look at some of these scores and, you know, I go back to them. I go back to the beer and I go, wow, interesting. Like I almost think, that I should should change the score, and there's there's one brand uh, brewery in particular. Uh, I won't bring it up on this episode. I'll probably do a little segment on uh, Instagram, but that's something new that I'm going to be putting out. It's kind of like updated scores. Basically, I go back, and uh, if I feel they were wronged, um, and or if if I feel as if I give them too high of a score, that obviously, um, you know, could could happen as well. Uh, I don't necessarily feel that way about any of those be- uh, my beers currently, but uh, there is one, maybe a couple that I feel I may be kind of lowballed, um, and uh, I'll put out the the apology on Instagram for the the world to see, the public eye, the judge, and um, we'll we'll do that going forward. But eight point five for Silversmith, that that puts it at pretty much top. Let's see here. Like top eight, top eight beers, um, so that's really incredible. Obviously, I got this this cool um, 
glass to go with it. Uh, I also bought a bunch of merch uh, from there that uh, I can post uh, with this. Uh, it's, I got a really cool t-shirt, really nice color. Um, I also got this hat. I think it's in one of the photos, but uh, I'll post um, on Instagram with the beer post. Uh, they have really cool merch, so I love that. And they have a lot of selection of glasses. Uh, I'm a glass fanatic, and you guys will see that in the the new studio, which hopefully next week I'll be recording in. Um, you know, we can call this the, the end of the first season, I guess. You know, we could say a season has 20 episodes in it. Um, we'll call this the end of the first season. But uh, with that being said, thank you for, for joining me in these first 20 episodes. Um, one thing, oh my God, I, I totally forgot. This is actually also the 30th beer I've tasted. So 30 beers. We've gone through 30 beers, 20 episodes, obviously because some episodes have uh, multi-beer tastings. So 30 beers, um, 20 episodes. This is a milestone, reason to celebrate. Um, I can't wait for what's next and uh, look forward to putting out more content. But until then, I look forward to uh, putting out a new episode next week, next Friday. Uh, like I said, it's kind of like the, the third part of our Canadian beer story. Uh, and until then, cheers.